Here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, a Huntsville construction worker fell to his death last week. A Montgomery Airport ramp worker who was killed on the job has been ID'd. The GOP is trying to defund law enforcement, and we think that's bad? We're going to talk about all that and more on today's Valley Labor Report. If you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave us a voicemail and send us a text message throughout the week. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, uh, all at The Valley Labor Report. All at The Valley Labor Report. Report. Just go to your social media platform of choice and search for us there, and we're probably, probably there. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program, Uh, make a one-time donation, or buy our merch. Speaking of which, we do still have some of our Good Things Union Graph trucker hats and the Join a Union or the Boss Will Get You t-shirt. We have one large red Join a Union t-shirt. So if you want either of those things uh, that I thought we were out of but found in the trunk of my car, uh, then message the show, and we'll uh, make sure to get those to you. So if you want to do that uh, or become a sustaining member of the program, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm, tvlr.fm slash store, and tvlr.fm slash donate. If you're a member of a union, then think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Uh, our largest single source of uh, funding comes from our listeners, but... The majority of our funding, you know, that, it, that it's the largest single source is from our listeners. But the majority of our funding is from union sponsors. So if you think that what we're doing is valuable, is helpful, and particularly if you are a union member in the area, then think about getting your local or your international to sponsor the show. That's really a great way to help us stay on the air and to expand. So uh, reach out to us for more details on that. Absolutely. And it's, it's not just unions. If you belong to uh, an advocacy group, 
if uh, you are a lawyer who does mm. pro-employee uh, legal work, um, if you are a podcaster, if you have a show of your own that you'd like to uh, get the word out and, and, and reach our audience, let us know. Uh, we're happy to work with you. We just want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan or today's your first time listening. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. And for those of you who don't know, uh, it's good to just remind folks every month or two that we do air live on WVNN right now, uh, which is the right-wing talk radio station in Huntsville, Athens, every Saturday from 9.30 to 11. And with our overtime segment airing after 11 o'clock, that is online only. Uh, that is through YouTube and Facebook and Twitch. And we got our start on WVNN, oddly enough, which is the birthplace of Sean Hannity. It is home to all sorts of reactionary propaganda that we find objectionable on a personal level. But we think it's important to get a different perspective out there to different audiences and multiple audiences. We're also happy that a portion of the show is replayed during the week on WZZA, the historic black radio station in northwest Alabama, and on WHIV, which is a community radio station in New Orleans. We release the full episode on Spotify, Apple, and the various podcasting apps. So please subscribe to us on your app of choice and give us a good review. Throughout the week, clips of the show are released as standalone videos on YouTube and, uh, in some cases, on TikTok. So if there's a specific segment or an interview you want to find, you want to go back to, that you missed, we try to make it easier for you. And we're in the process of upgrading the YouTube channel, uh, getting some good playlists going on. So if there's a particular topic you're interested in, you can find some of our back catalog there uh, and some of the great guests we've talked to over the last couple of years. Just do us a favor, hit subscribe, hit like. Uh, all of our content is free, so special thanks to all of you who donate, all of you who comment and call in, all of you who've liked us, shared us, reviewed us. That engagement on social media and the podcasting apps, it really does help. It's a quick, easy way and free way to support the program. If you believe it's important, to have our own media of, by, and for Southern wor working class people, please consider supporting us however you can. Please share with your coworkers, your friends, your family, your neighbors, anybody you know in your circle that might be interested. Obviously, we know there's a lot of good causes to support, uh, many of which we're going to tell you about uh, each and every week. And our audience are working folks with limited incomes. So if you do find value in our project, you're willing to chip in a couple bucks, please know it means a lot to us. We've got some great stuff planned for 2023, as Jacob alluded to, uh, as we grow the show and our content, and we cannot do it without you. Yep, thanks for that, Adam. Uh, so we wanted to start off uh, today with uh, just a, a, a couple of quick hits um, that are, you know, uh, <clears throat> I think, and and one of the reasons that I wanted to that, that I want to do these and, and mention these, even though there's not, you know, there is there's some amount of actionable stuff in there, some 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 takeaways, but also, you know, there's uh, whenever somebody like important, you know, dies, we hear about it all the time. 
Um, you hear about it there in the news, um, and it's just it, it, it's a big uh, you know it's a big to do. It's a big thing, and uh, when working people die, um, particularly when working people die. I think it's particularly egregious when working people die in the course of doing their work and they don't get any of these accolades. They might get, as these people have, a quick hit in local media and that's it. And nobody remembers their name and nobody remembers what happened to them or, or you know, anything like that. And so I just, I wanted to pay, you know, homage to, to them and their lives. And that is, uh, the first story is a 59-year-old Huntsville construction worker, uh, Toribio Perez. He died in a workplace accident on Thursday, January 5th, uh, falling 20 to 30 feet to his death um, on a work site off of Old Monrovia mm. Road in Huntsville. Um, so, you know, I do hope that you'll, that y'all will, uh, you know, if y'all are praying type folks, um, keep his family in your thoughts and prayers. This has to be you know, uh, just a terrible situation. Um, the worst thing um, would be, you know, your fam your your family not being able to see you after you leave for work that day. Um, and I also hope that folks that are elected in Huntsville, you know, I hope they know his name, um, and I hope that they really think about um, if they're doing everything that they can regarding safety in the workplace, right? In, in the place that they're elected. Um, I know, for example, that Huntsville does not have a responsible bidder ordinance. A lot of, and I haven't looked too deeply into this, but a lot of uh, state and local laws mandate that the government, when you work with a contractor, when, you, when you're doing construction stuff, uh, you have to um, give to the lowest um you know you know the the lowest price basically and some of them say the lowest reasonable price the lowest responsible price or whatever but in most jurisdictions and a lot of jurisdictions that responsible is not defined um it's, it's just not defined and uh, i know that that's the case here in huntsville we do not have a responsible bidder ordinance that defines uh what a bidder what type of safety regulations a bidder has to meet to work on public construction projects. And that's something that should change. Birmingham just passed a responsible bidder ordinance. I know that in Pennsylvania, friend of the show, Connor Lewis, president of the Seven Mountains Labor Council, he's pushing for a responsible bidder, bidder ordinance in his county um, because they have actually had, in that county, an increase in workplace deaths of 40% uh, over the last year, which is really shocking. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, not having that floor there, uh, can be really detrimental for workers. Um, and I can't say for sure in this particular instance, if there was any negligence on the part of the contractor, we're going to have to wait for more to come out. Uh, but there almost always is, is the thing. Um, there almost always is whenever you hear about one of these stories, if, if any digging is ever done into it, which, which, you know, that in and of itself is not, is not the, you know, you can't take that for granted right? that somebody's going to be digging into this and that you're going to be able to find out more, you know? Uh, but when that happens, it's almost always the case that uh, if any digging is done, that uh, you're going to see that there's some sort of training that the worker who died ought to have had 
Uh, there are some safety precautions that management either explicitly or implicitly encouraged workers not to follow or winked and nodded as workers avoided them. Um, and, and so, you know, we do have a reporter in Huntsville that is going to be looking into this, uh, Megan Plotka with WAFF. Uh, she reported on the, on the death and I've talked to her since then. And she said that she is interested in digging into the safety practices of this contractor, uh, the contractor that, um, uh, Toribio Perez was working for is Ellington Construction, Ellington Construction. Uh, so if you have any tips about the safety practices of Ellington construction or the circumstances of Perez's death, uh, then shoot her an email at megan.plotka at waff.com. M-E-G-A-N dot P-L-O-T-K-A at W-A-F-F dot com. Appreciate um, Megan being on that story and, and yeah. investigating it, and I, I hope she can come up with uh, with some more of the facts surrounding this this tragic death. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and one more, um, a few weeks ago, actually on Christmas Eve, if I remember right, a Montgomery ramp worker died after she was quote unquote ingested. Uh, the news was reporting, and, and that's like a technical term apparently when something gets caught in the engine of a plane. Uh, she was ingested in the plane's engine, in, in the propeller. Uh, the union that represents her, uh, that represents workers there, uh, ID'd her as Courtney Edwards, uh, the mother of three children. Uh, and the union has set up a GoFundMe. Um, the union is the Communication Workers of America, Local 3645. Um, and the local president is Danielle Prophet. Uh, she set up th uh, with, you know, with the union a GoFundMe for Courtney's family, um, which has has fortunately done really well so far. Um, they had a yes, it has. Yeah, they had a twenty-five thousand dollar goal. Uh, they've raised ninety-two thousand um, dollars. So, I love to see. I'm, um, you know, that that's fantastic for. Um, as far as the GoFundMe goes, but it, it's obviously not going to be enough to replace Courtney. Um, and so uh, there again, you know, if you're praying type folks, um, consider, uh, you know, consider this family, keep them in your thoughts and prayers and uh, consider donating uh, to their GoFundMe. Uh, they don't, I, I, they don't have like a, a really quick short URL, but, um, uh, but it's, uh, we're going to put that in the Facebook and the YouTube chats. Uh, and I'll say it here, just if you're listening on the podcast, it's gofund.me slash 57B7B85E. Uh, so gofund.me slash 57B7B85.E. So consider, uh, you know, consider donating to that family. Uh, they're going to need, you know, a lot of support, um, as, you know, three children, uh, now without a, you know, without a, uh, without an income that they were depending on and without the, the care of their mother. Right. At so. Christmas too. I, I just, mm, just very tragic. And, and uh, yeah, I agree that it, it is nice to see that the GoFundMe has done quite well and it's surpassed its goal and, uh, you know, appreciate what the CWA locals doing down there to raise funds for that family. Yep. Absolutely. All right. And uh, with that, we are going to go to a break and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this um, 
about uh, uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the the House Committee on Education and the Workforce, uh, the new leader of that committee, who we've talked about on the show previously, actually. Um, talk about what fairness means and all that good stuff. So uh, stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report, and we will be right Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. (laughs) 
labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you have anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TLR. That phone number is 844-899-8857. Appreciate you uh, listening to the show. Uh, so let's talk about this. This um, the, uh, the Republicans, you know, they... Uh, um, they took control of the House of Representatives, <clears throat> and one of the first things that they did was um, a bill to defund enforcement of the law. That was their first bill that they passed. But the the thing that they did, one of the things that they did before that was reorganization of the committees. Um, and one of the committees, and we talked about this last week, was the House Committee on Education and Labor. They changed the name to the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. And um, and I was prepping for this segment a little bit because I wanted to talk about their statement that they put out regarding this. I wasn't originally going to do like a longer segment about it, uh, but they did a, they did a you know a, a pretty lengthy statement about it. And there's just some really silly things in the statement. Um, and so I was doing some research yesterday for this, and I found out that this committee was uh, originally commissioned under Republicans. You know, they always, one of their big things of conservatives right now is, oh, Democrats were the real racists. Democrats were the party of the KKK. Republicans were the party of Lincoln. Well, guess what the Republican party of Lincoln did in 1867? They created the House Committee on Education and Labor. The House Committee on Education and Labor, and it stayed that name as far as I can tell you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't just spend hours and hours, you know, looking at every single Congress. But uh, from what I could tell, it stayed that way. The name that Republicans originally gave it uh, <laughs> until 1995, when Republicans uh, first changed it to um, the House Committee on Education and something else. And then finally in like 97 or 99 they changed it to education in the workforce, which is what they've stuck with every time they take the House. Uh, uh, education in the workforce since then, while Democrats have tried to stay true to American history and keep the politically correct mob from erasing our heritage and using this new speak, mm. education in the workforce, right? I mean... Wow, what it, we are, this is just like 1987's George Orwin's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I had, a, you know, this is exactly like George Orwin predicted in 1987. Um, is, that, is, that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, right now. I'm sure you probably heard it on the radio. Yeah, so. Um, <laughs> has to be true. Has to be true. Uh so here's what they said. Here's what they said on their, you know, they made this big statement about, oh, we're changing the name, changing the name because we're, you know, politically correct. We want, we don't want to, we want to make sure that we don't offend anybody by calling it the House Committee on Education and Labor, even though that's what it was called for nearly 200 years or like 130 years. Um, 
we want to make sure that we don't offend anybody, any bosses. We want to make sure we don't offend any bosses. I'm going to call it education in the workforce. Here's what they said. Each time the majority in the House of Representatives flips between Democrats and Republicans, the name of this committee changes. When Democrats control the House, the name is Committee on Education and Labor, while Republicans rebrand it as the Committee on Education and the Workforce. But why does that matter? This is, remember, Republicans talking. Quote, labor, unquote, is an antiquated term that excludes individuals. And just, I want to just, I just want to stop and think about how this language is so, like, PC, wokey police language. Oh, it excludes individuals. The term labor excludes, you know, this is the kind of language that these same people would totally decry if we were talking about you know um uh, uh, a trans woman wanting to be called you know miss jones instead of like being an asshole <laughs> and, and you know uh, calling them their dead name right i mean this is you know they would be to you know totally against this type of uh revisionism if it were anything else Quote, labor, unquote, is an antiquated term that excludes individuals who contribute to the American workforce but aren't classified as conventional employees. Quote, labor, unquote, also carries a negative connotation, does it? That ignores the dignity of work. The term is something out of a Marxist textbook that fails to capture the accomplishments of the full spectrum of the American workforce. Okay, uh, I don't think labor ignores the dignity of the dignity of work. In fact, I think the people who are most attached to the term labor, unions, working people, the people that fight on behalf of working people, they will agree that there's most of them will agree that there's some amount of dignity in work. There's some amount of pride that working people, particularly union folks, craftsmen, tradespeople, there's a certain amount of pride that they have in the work that they do. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you can talk about it even even better than because I think, Adam, you know, your work product is much more visible than mine as, you know, as a, like a clickety-clack office worker, right? But, you know, I mean, you putting together these shows that we do in Huntsville as a union stagehand, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of pride that you see when you, when you, you know, get up and you see this, you know, famous musician uh, 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 performing in front of a crowd of hundreds or thousands and be like, this couldn't have happened without me. Right, yeah. And, I mean, locals take pride and in, in want to, like, when folks come to Huntsville, IATSE 900 wants them to leave with a good impression. Uh, we want them to go to their next stop on the tour thinking, man, those folks in Huntsville really knew what they were doing. Uh, we had a great show. They put it together well. And if you talk to electricians, you talk to plumbers, you talk to any of the trades folks, they have a similar pride in their work. Uh, both on a personal level and also on behalf of their local and their brothers and sisters on the job. Yeah. But it's not just in the trades. It's in, you know, industrial unions. Uh, it's anywhere. I think most working people take pride in their work ethic uh, and do the best they can to work hard, given the circumstances they're in. Right. Now, the problem is, of course, not all jobs lend themselves to the dignity of work Right. And they certainly don't lend themselves to the dignity of the worker. Uh, but that's, you know, obviously a separate conversation from what uh, our Republican friend in Congress is trying to discuss. 
back to their statement, the left prefers the term labor. Actually, you know, just everybody preferred the term labor until these, you know, woke bosses wanted to try to rebrand as they called it, right? This was just what it was called. This is just what, what it was, is labor. Because it creates a sense of enmity between employees and employers, which union bosses, love that phrase, and left-wing activists seek to stoke for political gain. This word also fails to capture how deeply intertwined workers and job creators are in their contributions to the economy. I love how they, they call elected union officials who are accountable to the membership and who have uh, legal responsibilities to the union and who can be arrested for not uh, being democratic enough. They call these people union bosses, but they call literal actual bosses quote-unquote job creators. You just, you have to love the doublespeak here. You have to love it. Though the left likes to treat employers like predators, we know that most job creators have their employees' best interests in mind. Hmm. That's fascinating. Our economy would not function without the earnest cooperation of both employees and employers. That's why workforce is such a valuable term. In Rep Representative Virginia Fox's own words, quote, workforce is a much better term to use because we are talking about all the people in this country who make a living. The American workforce encompasses or is built upon many different components. Independent contracting, workers. Blue-collar work, workers. And franchise ownership. <laughs> to, to <name>. Franchise ownership. <laughs> no. I'm oh, sorry. Man. You don't get to steal our valor. You are yeah. not a worker as a franchise owner. Yeah. You are not labor. You don't count. And you don't get to uh, steal our valor. Sorry. Using labor in the name of the committee omits the important contributions of many segments of our economy and inadvertently ignores the dignity of the work of these individuals. Republicans understand that for many Americans, work creates a sense of dignity and purpose, which has never been challenged. Work creates opportunities for Americans to earn a living, support families, and strive toward a greater purpose. Many workers also receive important benefits from their jobs, such as employer-sponsored health care. Language matters using outdated terms like labor creates an overt bias towards union bosses while widening fissures created by big labor between workers and employers. If we want a modern workforce, we should say as much in Congress. That begins with ensuring our name reflects our commitment to every individual contributing to our workforce, the Committee on Education and the Workforce. Big labor. Big huh? labor. Big labor. The I Big labor, but yet I noticed it does, she doesn't say big employers. Yeah, right. You know, the people who actually like have own all the money. The yeah. economy. <laughs> right. <laughs> the people who own the economy, who run the economy, who set prices, who set production, who own the means of production and run the means of production. Eh, they're just job creators. It's that big labor you got to watch out for. All 10% of us got to yeah. watch out. Yeah, it's just super super bonkers um so uh i told you that we had talked about her before the person who and so representative virginia fox is like now the chair of this committee the committee on at this new you know woke term committee on education and the workforce god that's reassuring yeah she is the chair now she's a republican from virginia so um you know if she's Wait, she's from Virginia, and her name is Virginia? Is, is that? Is, is that correct? Is that correct? I don't know. 
now now you're now you're making me question. I don't know. But her last name is Fox, and she's the chair, and I think she's from Virginia. Um, and she sucks. And she sucks. <laughs> but so so here's a question. Um, she says in her statement that she wants the name to reflect our commitment to every individual contributing to our workforce. Um, so uh, presumably, at least, if we're going to take this at face value, we would say that you're committed to workers, at least in the same proportion that you are committed to bosses, right? I mean, at minimum, I mean, you should really be committed more to workers because j just by, you know, virtue of the fact that there are, you know, thousands of times more workers than bosses, you know? And so, you know, if you're going to be committed to every individual equally, you're going to have to be committed to workers as a class more than bosses because there's just more of us because we actually, you know, do the work. Um, so I, I said that we had talked about her before and we talked about her in the context of a hearing on Starbucks union busting where Michelle Ison, an actual real life Starbucks barista, somebody who actually makes profit for Starbucks, who actually creates value for the economy, who actually does something, she was there in Congress. Uh, and so Representative Virginia Fox had the opportunity to speak to one of the individuals that she's saying she's got a commitment to. So let's see how she opens. Uh, let's see how, let, let's just remember, we played this clip before, but let's remember how she opens uh, this, how she opens her statements and, and her address during this hearing. Despite Democrats' aggressive attempts to force union representation on workers, Republicans are committed to ensuring workers have the freedom to choose whether they want to join a union. I'd like to remind my colleagues that federal law already protects the right of employees to organize or to refrain from doing so. Any reforms to our labor laws should help workers and spur economic growth, not exclusively promote the interest of union bosses. There's a reason why the PRO Act cannot clear the Senate. It is a deeply unpopular bill that undermines basic, long-standing worker rights and would take a wrecking ball to Main Street. Republicans just want fair and neutral labor laws. Instead of working together to create a level playing field, Democrats want to pass a union wish list bill to build on what they claim is a historic surge in unionizing. So she just wants, all she wants is just fair labor laws. And yet, if, if you know, the, the thing that she's trying to say is that Democrats are just too on the side of workers, which, you know, is, I was Debatable, under, to yeah, say the least. Debatable, to say the least. And I was also under the impression that the GOP, that the Republicans were undergoing this populist pro-worker rebranding. Uh, you know, despite the fact that Josh Hawley literally doesn't think that pregnant workers should have access to water. Uh, that was the that was that's the impression that I'm being given by the mainstream media is that is that Republicans are undergoing this populist rebranding. Uh, and yet here she is try, trying to say that Democrats are too committed to workers. But you would just think you would think that, OK, look. Here's the deal. If. I'm going to say Republicans need uh, Democrats need to be fair. You would think I would at least concede some of the most obvious discrepancies in our labor law. Some of the most obvious unfair things 
that bosses are able to get away with and try to work with Democrats to address those. You would think because because that's just a fact. It's just a fact that bosses have more power than workers. And it's just a fact that it didn't used to be that way. I mean, it, 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 it's always been that way, but not in the proportion that it is today. It's just a fact. It's just a fact that bosses can get away with more things than workers. And one of those things is, let's look at what UPS can do. Matt uh, Likinger on Twitter, he is a UPS driver, and he recorded a video of UPS supervisors sending, uh, UPS supervisors scabbing on the nurses in violation of their collective bargaining agreement with the Teamsters. The Teamsters and, the, and UPS have a collective bargaining agreement that states that UPS will not deliver across picket lines. That's in their agreement. And so that means it's binding. UPS has agreed to that. And now that's supposedly enforceable by law. And yet here this UPS driver is recording supervisors delivering to this hospital that is on strike, crossing the picket line to do so. And yet the consequences for UPS scabbing on the strike is only, according to Matt, going to be an insignificant amount of money paid in the form of a grievance check to a Teamster member. And the process of getting this grievance paid is going to take literal actual years. Literal actual years. Whereas if Matt tried to take it on himself to enforce the contract, and bodily put himself in front of them and not allow them to cross, he would be arrested. He would be arrested, even though he's trying to get them to enforce the law. But cops aren't going to arrest supervisors for scabbing, even though it's, it's technically against the law because, it's, because they're violating their contract, which is supposed to be legally binding. That's an obvious, something that's obviously uh, uh, unbalanced. In that hearing... She heard from a Starbucks barista about how Starbucks members, Starbucks workers are being retaliated against in violation of the law, in violation of the law. There were seven Memphis, Tennessee baristas who were fired and it took nine months to get them reinstated. It was found that they were illegally fired for retaliation. Like a Republican circuit court judge found it. Right. Okay, so this is not, you know, I understand, I, I understand and cop to being a pro-worker partisan, okay? But I also try very hard, I, I do try very hard not to misrepresent anything. I do not lie. Uh, but I also want to make clear when it's not just pro-worker partisans that are saying this stuff. This is a Republican judge in Tennessee that is saying this, that said that these Memphis baristas were unlawfully fired and ordered Starbucks to reinstate them, which they did nine months later. Nine months. How long would it take for the law to come after you if you did so much damage, if you did as much damage to an individual as nine months without a paycheck? which would be what, ten, tens of thousands of dollars? 
$10,000-$15,000 potentially, $20,000. If I went into your house and did $10,000, $15,000, worth of damage, would it take nine months for the process to work itself out? For me to be punished? No, of course not. I'll give you, you know, just a practical example of something that that I dealt with all the time representing public school employees. Uh, from time to time, you would find where an employee had been overpaid, right, through some mistake, some accounting error, whatever it may have been. And boy, when they found out, they got all of their money back, often all in one lump sum, in one check, you know. I, I will never forget a custodian having that happen to them. They had been overpaid slightly uh, for a couple years, actually. It was not enough to really notice on each individual check, but when you added it up over time, it was a substantial amount to be deducted all at once. They didn't care that this custodian wasn't sure how they were going to keep their lights on that month, right? That they weren't going to be able to pay their bills that month. They made sure they got all their money back. They clawed it back so fast, uh, <laughs> as Infinite Content wrote in, in the chat. I mean, very quick about clawing back that money. The flip side to it, when employees would come to me because they've been underpaid in some cases for years, totally different story. Uh, it would be months and months of going through grievances. Mm. If that's not working trying to lawyer up, see if we can right. get lawyers to scare them into doing the right thing. Sometimes even that wouldn't work. Then you do have to go to court and hope that you get the right judge, hope that you can uh, actually make some headway in court, and hope that maybe after a year or two, your problem is actually resolved. Right. Maybe. Right? That's, that is the difference between when an employee is overpaid versus an employee being underpaid. Yeah. And and I think that's a real practical demonstration of the, the balance of power in our workplaces. But she's not interested in, in, in rectifying any of that. The only thing, and this is, this is the crux, right? This is the crux. If you ever hear about any change to workplace dynamics that Republicans support, ask yourself who it benefits. Does it disproportionately benefit workers or bosses? It's always, always, always bosses. And that's the, that's the rub. That's the rub. Uh, right. So it's obviously, obviously, you know, they're not interested in a fair law, in, in fair law for working people. It's just a silly thing to believe. It's a silly thing to believe. Well, and, and I'll uh, also add, to sort of riff off a, a comment we got in the chat from Free American 2020. Uh, he said, shame we had House, Senate, and Prez and did nothing for worker safety. Next, maybe next time they will promise us. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, right, right. yeah I, I think, uh, just, just to reiterate, our criticism of the GOP does not absolve the Democratic Party uh, whatsoever. And I would agree with that assessment. In the past two years, we've seen very, very little done to advance the interest and the goals of working class people, including safety right. on the job. Um, you know, we have seen an improvement in the National Labor Relations Board, uh, an improvement with the head of the FTC. You know, there's a couple of little things you can point to here and there, but all in all, it's... Um, 
but it really is it's like drops in a bucket yeah. right you know it's uh nowhere near what needs to be done considering the drastic imbalance of power and imbalance of wealth imbalance of law um it's just uh so much needs to be done and uh the republicans are making it clear they're going to make it worse and democrats have made it clear uh that they weren't up for the task it, it it really is amazing that some of these the smaller things like uh you know all of these and we're going to be talking about this a little bit later in the program but um you know, all these executive agencies that are tasked with enforcing uh, labor law, workplace safety, all this stuff, all of these things have been underfunded. OSHA. We, t- we talked to uh, an AFGE member, I believe, who works for OSHA about uh, the underfunding at OSHA. Uh, we've EEOC. Talked- that's another EEOC. one. EEOC. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. EEOC is another one. Uh, we talked to a, a field attorney at the NLRB about these. And so, like, I do not understand. I do not. It's not a controversial thing for Democrats to fund these these organ these agencies to enforce the law. Well, it's controversial among some in the donor class, right? But it's, it should not be controversial, uh, by and large. Though you're right. Yeah. Uh, but before we talk about that, let's get to last week in Southern Labor. We will head to a break, and then we'll come back and, and we'll dig into that a little bit more. So, uh, want to make sure that we get to this because uh, last week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week. Uh, mostly where we tell you what happened in the labor movement in the South. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird, which compiles all the information for the entire United States. So if you want to see what's going on outside of the South, subscribe to his newsletter, whogetsthebird.substack.com. Um, this is a longer list. It's for three weeks, so some small shops have been left out. And with that, let's jump into new organizing for the week of December 18th to January the 8th. 100 workers at a fifth Trader Joe's store, this time in Louisville, Kentucky, have filed for an election with Trader Joe's United. After stores in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Hadley, Massachusetts successfully organized, successfully unionized, one in Brooklyn, New York, lost their vote, and one in Boulder, Colorado, withdrew their petition before the vote. Uh, The Boulder, Colorado one was with UFCW Local 7, not the independent Trader Joe's United. 60 lumber workers at Patrick Industries in Decatur, Alabama are organizing with RWDSU. 31 workers at Farmer's Market Operator Fresh Farm Markets in D.C. are organizing with UFCW Local 400. 26 electricians with TL Electric in Corpus Christi, Texas are organizing with IBEW Local 278. Seven staffers at Social Services Nonprofit Cahoma Opportunities in Clarksdale, Mississippi are unionizing with the Teamsters Local 667. Five warehouse workers at Dr. Pepper Snapple Group in Fairmont, West Virginia are joining UFCW Local 400. Five workers subcontracted out of the El Paso-based Training, Rehabilitation, and Development Institute, a staffing agency for disabled workers, are joining the Operating Engineers Local 501 at three Federal and Border Patrol offices. 26 workers at Deep Roots Harvest Dispensary in West Wendover, West Virginia, voted 14-8 to join UFCW Local 711. Ten workers at La Colombe in D.C. won that chain's first union 6-1 with UFCW Local 400, the same local that also notched a win at Mom's Organic Market in College Park, Maryland, the third of the chain's 22 locations to unionize, and the first with the UFCW. Ten HVAC workers at Fort Knox, Kentucky, voted 6-4 to to join UA Local 502. 
105 workers who bottle Pepsi products for Acadiana Bottling in Youngsville, Louisiana, lost their bid to join the Teamsters Local 270, 39 to 56. And 235 workers who make fans for Lasco in Fort Worth, Texas, are facing a decertification petition of their union, the Workers United Southwest Regional Joint Board. Tough, tough loss there in Louisiana for the Teamsters, but I uh, yeah. was certainly happy to see Decatur, Alabama on the list there and uh, wishing yeah. RWDSU all the luck in that campaign. Absolutely. In strikes and bargaining, the UMWA strike at Warrior Met in Brookwood, Alabama rolls on. You can listen to our conversation with the Secretary-Treasurer of the International Union for some of the reasons the strike has lasted so long. 400-some-odd workers and three steelworkers local at locals at the West Rock Paper Mill in Cottonton, Alabama, rejected a so-called last, best, and final offer from the company to end the three-month lockout. The News Guild has won what is apparently the first union contract at a Texas newspaper after, 24, after a 24-day strike at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. In politics and legislation, as Congress faced a partisan changeover, the institution suddenly got motivated to do a few things and managed to pass increased funding for the NLRB, though far short of union demands, before the Democrats headed over, uh, handed over the House to the GOP. One of the GOP's first moves has been to attempt to declare that the Congressional Workers' Union's victory in securing unionization rights for congressional staff is defunct literally trying to take away constitutional rights from their staff. It's amazing. Management lawyer John Ring is finally off the National Labor Relations Board. The Democrats are expected to just let his seat stay empty for a while, hopefully making good use of the three-to-one Democratic majority. The Federal Trade Commission announced that it is banning non-compete agreements, which suppresses wages by barring workers from taking certain jobs, even after they leave an employer. Uh, just a helpful reminder that the federal government can, in fact, use its immense power to intervene on the side of workers. It just chooses not to. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments in Glacier Northwest. We're going to be talking about that later in the program. The latest judicial attack on union rights in this country, which would open private sector unions to massive lawsuits for damages caused by striking. The New York Times looked at White House uh, fallout from the rail strike and, get this, Smart president, uh, smart is a union, the sheet metal and something or another, something. <laughs> president Jimmy Ferguson gave an interview on, on basically why Biden, quote, did the right thing. Mm. Uh, wow. So you can just. Oh, surprised to hear that coming. Have your own thoughts on that. Um, and in internal union politics, um, there, uh, it, it was outside of the South, but it's worth mentioning that there were a couple huge labor actions recently, um, which was the country's largest strike. Uh, 36,000 uh, 36, University of California grad workers and researchers with UAW Local 2865 and Student Researchers United voting to ratify contracts by about 62 and 68 percent, respectively in a contentious final stretch. Also, 17,000 NYC nurses uh, with the New York State Nurses Association ended a three-day strike securing wage gains and making progress on staffing ratios. 
Um, and so the biggest that leaves the biggest strike now as CNH Case Agricultural implements uh, the strike there by the UAW locals 807 and 180 in Burlington, Iowa and Racine, Wisconsin. After months of no movement, the workers rejected a new tentative agreement last weekend. After eight months on the picket line, which is, that's a big move for sure. We're going to take our final break and we're going to be right back talking about the GOP defunding law enforcement. Also going to be talking more about that uh, Supreme Court strike case. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We will be right back. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. 
If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256 383 3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Are you hearing the the cracking in the music? Yeah, that was a little weird. Don't know what that was about, but we'll hmm. sort it out. Um... So, yeah, I've been talking about this. Um, The first bill, been teasing this segment uh, the whole show, the first bill of the GOP House of Representatives, the first bill that they passed was to defund law enforcement, uh, to defund enforcement of this country's laws. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about their bill to reverse the $80 billion in funding that the Democratic Congress passed for the IRS in the previous session. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, we don't typically think about the IRS in, for, in terms of law enforcement, that it, but that is an actual, literal, factual, you know, description of what the IRS does. Our tax code is law, and the IRS enforces that law. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, I don't know, I always hear from... You know, just just random, you know, if I'm just talking to people just on the street or whatever, you know, friends, family or whatever, they say, oh, if you, you know, you don't like the country's laws, then, you know, advocate for them to change. But you can't just, you know, and then and typically they're they're talking about they for some reason think that, uh, you know, that that you have to enforce every single law no matter if you like it or not. And so, you know, this typically comes up in the conversation of like decriminalizing marijuana at a local level or something like that. You know, like, oh, well, I don't have a choice. You don't you you want to make it legal and make it legal, but you know, we don't have we don't have any discretion how we choose to enforce the law. Uh, and yet, that energy is totally gone when it comes to enforcement of the country's tax laws. Uh, you know, there's just no energy for that. So, they passed that bill based on lies that this money would create 87 one of those lies is that the this bill would create 87,000 new IRS agents uh it just simply wouldn't do that it simply would not do that 
for one, only about half of this money is to be used on enforcement. The other half is for improving taxpayer services, which are terrible. The agency in the last year only answered about 13% of the calls that it received. 13%. Improving taxpayer services, so having more people to answer phones, right? That's important. Uh, and the agency's infrastructure, the rickety technology that they use, and the main thing that they have, like the files that they have on people, the backbone of that is 60 years old. So half of this money is for uh, uh, it, it is for modernization, taxpayer services, stuff like this. Only half of it is for enforcement. The other half is for is for the other stuff. Uh, it's also important to understand that this money is going to be spent over 10 years, right? It's not to be spent over the next year. It's to be spent over 10 years. And there are an expected 50,000 plus resignations and retirements coming in that time. So, you know, there's going to be 87. The, and, and so where this 87,000 number comes from is that's an estimate of how many total employees that this money would be able to hire over the next 10 years. So 50 over 50,000 of that is just replacement, is just replacement. And that is replacing staffing at the lowest level. Get this, the IRS has fewer frontline experienced examiners in the field than at any time since World War II and fewer employees total than at any time since the 70s. Former IRS Commissioner Charles Reddig, who was appointed by President Donald Trump. So just replacing those 50,000 employees is just replacing the IRS at basically the lowest level that it's been in modern history. <laughs> so it's important to understand how short-staffed the IRS is. And that short staffing has an impact on their ability to enforce the tax code. From the Washington Post, the IRS has only about 6,500 agents to audit 178 million tax returns. Now, I'm not great at math, but uh, that, didn't, that didn't work out too well. That's insane. And that obviously impacts what a, what the agency can do, right? There were only 7,700 agent audits of tax returns listing over a million dollars in income last year. Only 7,700. That's down from about 41,000 a decade ago. So we are less, we have had as a total number, less than a quarter of the audits than we had 10 years ago of people who have tax returns of over a million dollars. Less than a quarter in number. But today there are 22 million millionaires in the country. In 2012, there were only 9 million. So there are more than double the amount of millionaires and yet they are audited at less than a quarter of the rate than they were 10 years ago. 
And that's another lie that they're going on about, that this enforcement is going to be affecting you disproportionately. I mean, the bill was called like protecting, you know, small families and, work, and, and small business owners or something like that. Protecting families and small business owners. That's just absurd. I mean, for one, you know, aren't the, these are the same people, as I understand, that are just super loosey-goosey with our constitutional rights to privacy, right? The Patriot Act, do you remember that? If you don't have anything to hide, what's the deal? So, you know, it's weird that they're on about this. But, and it's also important to say that no matter what your income is, you should pay your taxes. You should pay what you are legally obligated to pay. That's the thing about living in a society, right? It, and, you know, uh, if you don't like that your taxes are so high, then you can advocate and vote for taxes not being that high. But it's important that everybody be under the same regime and we have to abide by the same laws. Uh, ab abide by the same tax code, right? That's important. Uh, but the administration has explicitly said that the new funding is going to be going towards auditing wealthier folks as opposed to people that are not wealthy. And we have historical data that shows that that's what the IRS does with that money. And that's certainly what I would hope. I mean, yeah, there's there's really no sense in auditing a bunch of working class families because what you're going to find. You're right. Not much. Or, you know, we, we know we know where the fraud is happening and mm -hmm. where people are dodging taxes. And it's not working people making fifty thousand dollars a year. Right. right. That, th those aren't the families that are that are cheating on their taxes. Yeah. It's just, it, 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 it's, it's bonkers. And, and so, you know, we have historical data to show what the IRS does when it has more funding and, and they disproportionately audit wealthy people more. And that makes sense because it takes money to audit wealthy people, right? Because they've got all these fancy ass lawyers that can uh, that can try to contest the claims, right? And whereas and if you audit looking for me, every loophole they can <laughs> right. find, if you audit me and you say that it, you know if I get something from the IRS saying you underpaid, and there's not anything that's like just super crazy, I'm gonna be like, oh, oops, my bad, and I'm gonna write a check to make up the difference. That's what most working people are gonna do. We're not gonna go out and retain lawyers, but if a millionaire is audited, that's obviously what they're gonna do. They're gonna try to get out of it, out of it. So it's going to take more resources. And so as resources are drained, they have, they just audit these people less. So here's some data on that. The audit rate for Americans earning more than $5 million a year plunged to just over 2% in 2019. Just over 2% in 2019 from over 16% in 2010. The audit rate did also fall for less wealthy people but at a smaller rate, right? For less wealthy folks, it was kind of basically the same. Whereas for more wealthy folks, it plummeted. And that, I mean, you know, just that makes sense because of the way the world works. So, based on the statements of the administration, the statements of the tre Treasury Secretary, the intent of Congress, and historical data, we have no reason to believe that this money is not going to be disproportionately used to audit wealthy people. Now look, okay, they and the Treasury Secretary has put out a directive for the IRS to come up with a detailed plan about how all of the money is going to be spent 
within six months. And that was back in August that she sent that directive. So here in a couple of months, we're going to see this plan for how the IRS is going to spend all of this money. And I'll be the first one to say, if that plan comes out and the entire half of this bill, half of this $80 billion that's supposed to be used for enforcement, if they use all of that to audit people, if they have a plan that says, okay, look, we're going to use all this money to audit people that have less than $400,000, I will come out and I'm going to eat crow, okay? <laughs> I promise. I promise I will do that. Because that would be bad, and I would oppose that. That would not make sense fiscally. That would not make sense in terms of fairness um, or anything. I would oppose that. That would be bad, and I would eat crow. But we've got no reason to expect that that's going to be the case. And all of these lies are an attempt to obscure a through line in all of their policies, and that is benefits to the wealthy. After all, I want millionaires to be able to cheat on their taxes more easily is not a very convincing, you know, it's not a very convincing election slogan, right? But that's exactly what this is. That's exactly what this is. And it's the same basic premise for all of their attacks on agencies tasked with enforcing laws that don't explicitly help wealthy people. The National Labor Relations Board, the EEOC, OSHA, the Department of Labor, MSHA, all of these agencies we have talked about at different times about their underfunding under both Democratic and Republican administrations, but particularly under Republican administrations, and how that affects their abilities to carry out their mission, which is to help working people, to ensure that we have safe workplaces, to ensure that our workplaces are free of discrimination and harassment, to ensure that our right to organize is being respected. Republicans are attacking all of these things, and yet they're not changing the laws. They're just deconstructing the ability of the government to enforce them. Right. It's, it's uh, the sabotage approach. It's the sabotage approach of underfunding public institutions, staffing public institutions, or staffing the leadership of public agencies with people fundamentally opposed to their mission, um, and you, you sabotage from the inside out. Yeah. And we've seen this carried out across the public sector, uh, specifically with these agencies designed to intervene on behalf of working people. But really, all of the public sector, all of the state that exists out there mm -hmm. that in any way uh, is available for regular people, such as public schools. Right. Yeah. It's just it's so it's so <laughs> frustrating. It's so frustrating when you hear these people talk about like, you know, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, I'm doing, I, I, I'm saying this like in a tongue in cheek way that this is law enforcement, but I mean, you know, they're always talking about like, I support law enforcement. I support law enforcement. You got to follow the law. You got to follow the law. If you just complied, there would be no issue, right? They're always talking about this um, in other circumstances, but anytime the law negatively impacts wealthy people or bosses, they just—it's a totally different story. It's a totally different story, and I want folks to understand that. And I want folks to—that's why I'm, you know, talking about this, um, and 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 bringing out these comparisons because not enough people understand that. Right. Not, not enough people understand that. And you know, one of the other aspects of this, like internal sabotage of these agencies, is that it then goes on to prove it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the Republicans tell you that the government is not able to help you. 
that the right. government will only hurt you. They then make it their mission to ensure that is the fact, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. By underfunding, by sabotaging, uh, by deregulating, so that when you do come to an agency such as OSHA or EEOC or NLRB for assistance, right? Republicans have ensured that they're not able to execute their mission to fidelity, and then you walk away as the citizen thinking, well, yeah, I guess they're on to something. Yeah, the government really can't really do much for us, can it? Uh, so that self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, is very dangerous. And, and while, yes, of course, we're, we're focusing on Republicans and their dedication to this, um, Democrats have their share of the blame as well. Uh, absolutely. Uh, because what we're talking about here is essentially 50 years of, of neoliberalism, of Reaganomics, of yeah. defunding public institutions and sabotaging public institutions, deregulating, and essentially rolling back all of the progress that was made from the 1930s through the 1960s. Yeah. And in some cases, even before then, right? <laughs> right. In some cases, we're going back to the progressive era and undoing that. Right. Yeah. Um, before we go, I wanted to make sure that, that uh, uh, spend a little a little bit of time talking about this. And, and Adam, were you able to put that clip up um, in the in the scene? The I MLK think so. Clip? We're going to okay. see if it works. <laughs> so Monday is MLK Day. Um, and if you're a federal employee, you get the day off. If you're a state employee, you get the day off for Robert E. Lee slash Martin Luther King Day, which is um, really gross. Really, really gross. Um, yeah, yet another uh, vestige of the lost cause mythology, which has been so dominant here in Alabama and other parts of the South. Yeah, yeah, but um, because for for people who don't know, Robert E. Lee was not born in Alabama. <laughs> uh, he's not native to Alabama. Right. So yeah, just wanted to clarify that for our our non-local listeners. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, Martin Luther King did do a lot of stuff in the um. You know, in, in Alabama, he was very integral, obviously, to the civil rights movement. And in the latter part of his life, he was working to—I mean, he always had an economic uh, plank, but in the latter part of his life, he was really focusing on that. And um, and the last speech that he gave uh, was in support of striking sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee. And so I clipped a section of that. It's a 43-minute long speech, and I would recommend going and listening to the whole thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, I would recommend, you know, so many people, I, I, I think that there are so few people that have actually sat and listened to a full Martin Luther King Jr. speech. Um, and it's really worth doing that because as an orator, he's amazing, um, and the things that he's talking about, uh, is still relevant in large part today. Um, still important to hear that message. And so, you know, definitely think of, uh, you know, if, if you've never done that, if you've never listened to a full Martin Luther King Jr. speech, uh, then then do that this weekend sometime. Uh, there, you know, there are several on YouTube. Uh, just find one and, and listen to it. Uh, it'd be worth your time. Absolutely. And for those, for our audience, of course, um, you know, highly recommend you, you check out 
some of Dr. King's work in relation to labor, because if you go back and you check his record, um, it's, you know, union hall after union hall that he's mm-hmm. visiting. It's, uh, you know, union convention after convention that he's speaking to, uh, strikes and picket lines that he's showing up at. Right. Um, he was a champion of labor. He was a friend of labor. And he saw very clearly, as he said, especially the latter part of his life, the connections between capitalism, militarism, and racism, the ways in which they intertwine, the ways in which these struggles are intertwined. Uh, So I consider Dr. King to be a a hero of of America, not just for his work fighting racism and fighting for civil rights, but for his work on behalf of working-class people in general uh, and poor people in particular. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I echo your sentiments. So I pulled uh, seven or eight minutes from the last speech that he gave in support of those striking sanitation workers, uh, talking about, um, you know, the need to foster like a dangerous unselfishness. Um, and you know, it's a you know we've talk, been talking about comparisons and his hypocrisies, and it's it's you know it's interesting to note uh, that you know MLK as a you know, an icon of the left, of civil rights, um, and of, you know, anti-capitalist sentiment. Uh, you know, at the same time that he's talking about this, that he's a preacher, um, an icon of the right, Ayn Rand is on TV talking about the importance of greed, uh, like actual literal greed. And, you know, she's like an icon for several Republican politicians. And she's talking about the importance of greed, how altruism is evil. Um, and so, you know, those are things to consider as well. So here's, let's take a listen to uh, this, this clip from his speech in Memphis, Tennessee. Now let me say as I move to my conclusion that we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We got to see it through. When we have our march, you need to be there. If it means leaving work, if it means leaving school, be there. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strike, but either we go up together or we go down together. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. One day a man came to Jesus he wanted to raise some questions about some vital matters of life. At points, he wanted to trick Jesus and show him that he knew a little more than Jesus knew and throw him off base. Now, that question could have easily ended up in a philosophical and theological debate. 
But Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and placed it on the dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. And he talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. You remember that a Levite? And the priest passed by on the other side. They didn't stop to help him. Finally, a man of another race came by. He got down from his beast, decided not to be compassionate by proxy. But he got down with him, administered first aid, and helped the man in need. Jesus ended up saying this was the good man, this was the great man. Because he had the capacity to project the eye into the thou and to be concerned about his brother. Now, you know, we use our imagination a great deal to try to determine why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. The times we say they were busy going to a church meeting, an ecclesiastical gathering, and they had to get on down to Jerusalem so they wouldn't be late for their meeting. At other times, we would speculate that there was a religious law that one who was engaged in religious ceremonial was not to touch a human body 24 hours before the ceremony. And every now and then we begin to wonder whether maybe they were not going down to Jerusalem, or down to Jericho rather, to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's a possibility. Maybe they felt that it was better to deal with the problem from the causal root rather than to get bogged down with an individual effect. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you are about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. And you know it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? 
But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. So I hope folks will think about that question as uh, we go through the weekend and as we think about how we're going to spend the rest of the year. Um, what's going to happen to folks if I don't stop to help them? Right. That's a good thing to think about as we... Um, as we live our lives and think about what we want to spend our time on. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So really enjoy, really enjoy listening to him. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there is, there's a power in solidarity mm -hmm. and, and I believe that is, uh, something that he speaks to and, and, and something that we believe on this show. And I think, uh, I think it's demonstrated every day, uh, through the power of collective action and, and demonstrated throughout our history. Yeah, absolutely. I, do, um, Jeff, I know we had a few plugs to try to yeah. get out before uh, before we get off the radio here. You want me to go ahead and take those away? Uh, don't forget our UMW ISIS and brothers still on strike. You can support the striking families by donating to their strike pantry at paypal.me slash UMWA strike pantry. Friends of the show, Obed Edom have a new album out. Check it out on Bandcamp. On January 16th at 4 p.m. Central, Haymarket Books will be hosting an online conversation entitled On the Line, a conversation on class, solidarity, and building a union <clears throat> featuring Daisy Pitkin and Jesse Sharkey, who's from the Chicago Teachers Union. Definitely consider going to that. Uh, the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform here in Huntsville is going to be holding an in-person and family-friendly meeting the third week of January. Stay tuned for details on time and location, the community survey results, 2023 outlook, and a closer look at redistricting are all on the agenda. Labor Notes has some online workshops. Secrets of a Successful Organizer January workshop series will run on Thursdays from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Central on January 12th, 19th, and 26th. If you haven't attended a Labor Notes training or if you're at all interested in learning more about any kind of organizing, workplace or otherwise, then definitely consider checking it out, checking it out on February uh, 7th. Sorry, on February 7th. They have a training called What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart at 6.30 p.m. Central. Labor Notes is also going to be in Chattanooga with an in-person Secrets of a Successful Organizer training on January the 28th from 10 to 5. I believe the time is Eastern. Space is limited and registration is required. For all of these, go to labornotes.org for details and to register. You can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. You can buy a hat, give us money on our website, tvlr.fm. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the show if you haven't yet. We're going to be going into overtime, where we are going to be talking to Asa Liebman. Uh, 
popular TikToker about his work. We're going to also be talking about this Supreme Court case about the right to strike and more. So stay tuned. Find us online, YouTube, Facebook, all that good stuff at the Valley Labor Report. Until then, all power to the workers. <laughs>